let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and in this special show, we're thrilled to be talking to Jamil Zainashef. For those of you who don't know Jamil, he's a world-renowned homebrewer, an author, a broadcaster, and now the founder and owner of Heretic Brewing and Distillery in Fairfield, California. So it's time to grab a beer, sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the show, Jamil. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, really looking forward to chatting to you and also to trying the beers. Now, we do have the first beer already in the glass, and it would only be polite of us to to, to allow you to, to tell us what we're going to be drinking first. So the beer in the glass currently is uh, our robust porter called Shallow Grave. This is, uh, you know, an American version of, uh, you know, British porter. And uh, it is uh, 7% uh, ABV, um, lots of uh, dark chocolate and uh, roasty, rich uh, notes. Um, not, not burnt, not acrid, uh, you know, but uh, more, more chocolate with a, a hint of roast uh, behind that as well. Uh, kind of balances out some of the, uh, the, the, the full body of this. It's uh, full body, but you know, finishes fairly dry, uh, starts uh, rich and, and creamy and finishes fairly dry. This is a beer that we have been making a long time. We, when we started in um, 2011, we, this was uh, first brewed in 2011. So about 10 years we've been brewing this. And it's won uh, medals at uh, the Great American uh, Beer Festival and uh, the World Beer Cup. Um, and uh Locally, it's, it's gotten some best of show uh, medals. We don't really enter a lot of competitions, but every once in a while we will. And uh, this one's done quite well. Um, I, I have to confess, um, the more you spoke about it, Jamil, I just had to dive in. Uh, normally, I'd be polite enough to say cheers to Steve or to you. And I thought, no, that description is just drawing me in. And I've had a bit of a swig of it. And... Uh, I, well, I haven't really got much to add. I mean, that, that bit where you said it starts off with a bit of a creamy, creamy f- feel to it, finishing finishing with a little bit of hint of dryness. It, it's spot on there with the two things that I definitely got from it straight away. It's, it's very easy. So it's, it's very easy on the palate for 7%. That's one of the things I think we do well is uh, alcohol. So one of the, uh, the things I've uh, focused on in brewing is being able to uh, ferment things well so that uh, you don't get these hot alcohols or harsh alcohols. And the advantage to it is when you make a bigger beer, it's very smooth. And, and, you know, a lot of people will drink this and they, uh, they don't think it's 7%. They'll think, Oh yeah. What, what's that? Maybe five, five and a half. No, that's seven. Uh, So you'll see in, in all of our beers, we tend to do that. We tend to, uh, try and uh, go with a, a mellow, uh, easy drinking kind of uh, character. I, I think it's one that, as, as you say, Jamil, it, it would certainly creep up on you. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't drink its ABV. It, it does feel very, very um, light. It's very, very smooth. And then the thing that that I love about it, it's got a real um, 
thick body and, and, and mouthfeel to, to it. I think sometimes you can find with, with, with porters, they can tend to feel a little bit thin, but there's there's none of that going on on with this. It's 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 full bodied. It's it's hitting you in the chops with all of those flavours that you spoke about, and it does have this lovely kind of roasted dark chocolate bitterness on the finish as well. That and that just all comes together so well in into what is a very very drinkable beer. Thank you. Um, yeah, one of the things that I kind of mastered early on was uh, porters when I when I started uh, home brewing. Uh, I enjoyed porters. I enjoyed making them. I enjoyed, you know, learning about the history of porters. And so uh, I, I focused on trying to get, uh, you know, a great porter down as, as part of my, uh, my the brewing skills. And um, when we started uh, Heretic Brewing, we weren't brewing a porter to start and one of my friends he came in and one of my mentors he, it was just like you know you make a great porter why aren't you making a porter you know brew your porter and I was like well I'm not sure how well it'll sell how many you know and we don't sell a lot of porter but um I think it's a great beer and I enjoy it and you know a lot of people that that are into porters really really enjoy it so um we still make it today I don't care how much it sells we we just keep making it so I can have it. Well, I mean, that's, isn't that the benefit of being the the, the, the brewer, owner? Yes. Making the beer for yourself. Um, and I'm sure the people, like you say, who do enjoy a good porter do really enjoy this one. So, mm -hmm. I mean, me and Steve are both massive fans of porters. And actually, I want to agree. I just want to say what I agree with Steve there about the body. It hasn't, but it's not thick and viscous. It is just full let, yeah, it lets you know that there's a beer in there, but someone hasn't tried to take too far with that viscosity, but also hasn't made it too light of body that it almost well, it doesn't taste like it, but it almost feel like you're drinking a soft drink. And that's tricky, you know, if you if you're trying to get full body, uh, a lot of times what that means in a lot of beers is it uh, a uh, uh, heavy uh, residual sweetness or thickness uh, in the in the finish and the aftertaste, um, and so I'm trying to you know we're trying to avoid that, and that way it's more drinkable. You like that full body at front, but with it finishing dry and not you know coating your your palate, uh, it's easier to drink in volume. So that's one of the things I love about British beers and you know, traditional cask ale is. Most of those uh, traditional beers, they uh, were just, you could drink them in massive quantities. And so uh, being somebody that enjoys drinking, uh, I, re I really love being able to go and have multiple pints, uh, you know, and, and, and still be, you know, somewhat coherent. So uh, that's one of my favorite things about beer in, in uh, England. Have you got a particular beer that you look for when you come over? Uh, there's a few and I, and I definitely, you know, uh, I like going and finding new pubs that I haven't been to before new pubs, meaning old pubs, but, um, and, and finding, uh, some of my favorites, but one of my all time favorites is, uh, uh Harvey's, uh, best bitter. Um, I think that that is just marvelous when that, when that, uh, when you find a good cask of that, that's just incredible. 
Um, I enjoy uh, you know a lot of the uh, Timothy Taylors. Uh, you know, a bolt maker when you can find it. I think it's great. Uh, Landlord's great, but I prefer bolt maker over uh, uh, landlord. Um, uh, you know, I enjoy Adnams. Uh, I enjoy uh, uh, some of the, the uh, Fuller's beers. Uh, all, all, all of the classics, basically. There. Yes. Yeah. And 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 I enjoy what the new brewers are doing in England. I think that there's a, a very vibrant and passionate uh, new brewer culture coming up. And I really enjoy those as well. But, the, you know, being a brewer for, for uh, a few decades now, if there's a beer that I want to drink, I can make it most of the time. There's, you know, most of the beers of the world, I can brew quite a nice example of that. You know, if there's something I'm really uh, desirous of, uh, then that's not a problem. But these, uh, you know, classic British ales, they're very hard to replicate. It's one of the things, see, I, I don't think people appreciate British beers as much as they should. I think that there is a um, you know, very passionate and uh, you know uh, audience and and following for uh, you know Belgian ales, German ales, things like that. Where uh, those beers they they're great, but they travel better than a British Cascale. You cannot take you know uh, a, a firkin of uh, you know, landlord, ship it around the world, let it sit in a warehouse for a few months, and then put it on and have somebody, you know, improperly serve it and have it be a good experience. And, you know, you can take, uh, you know, whatever, you know, Belgian ale, and it's in kegs, and you could ship it and serve it, and it's fine. Uh, the German ales, all those are very much more uh, durable than you know traditional british cask and because of that uh you know more people they they are all excited about you know these these other beers and they they've not experienced uh you know the the true british classics and, and served correctly you have to go to england to taste these and appreciate them these other beers can be brought to you those those can't and I think that it's suffering. And I think, uh, you know, it's suffering because of the delicate nature of, of, of finding them uh, and finding them in a perfect state. And it's, it, it's one of the more difficult things to brew. So I don't think people appreciate how difficult those are to brew and, and, and get them right. You know, the others I think are, are actually easier. It's a really interesting insight from someone who hasn't grown up with cask, I think, as well. I mean, yeah, Steve's right. You named a number of classics and there's some favourites in there. You know, me and Steve are big, big fans of, you know, beers from Adnams and stuff. And it's not a million miles away from where we're both based in normal times. Right now, it might as well be a million miles away. Um, as is that elusive pint of cask that you've just made me dream of as well, Jamil. Um, so, but it, it's, it's really interesting to hear that. Um, the appreciation and love for cask that is out there outside of our shores. And I've heard, I've heard it before, and so has Steve, and so have our listeners. I think a few of us have a bit of a feeling about perhaps the love for cask 
given we've been uh, stripped of it for probably half of the last 12 months, will we'll hopefully be there and that the family brewers, the new brewers, the independent pubs will be able to serve it, handle it, deliver it in the right way. Um, so it's, I, I know I'm speaking for Steve, my first pint at a pub when that's allowed won't be something I could have had a fairly decent standard of at home. It's going to be a pint of cask. Right. Uh, yeah. Something you can get in a, in a, in a can or in a bottle. I mean, that's fine, but it's, it's nothing like, uh, you know, a great cask ale, you know, in the proper condition. Uh, it's just magic. And, you know, the, there's a lot to be said for the, you know, the ambiance, the, uh, the, uh, environment of the of the pub as well that that adds to it you know even even uh even places with the sticky carpet is uh <laughs> it's great um and in you know modern beers uh or modern brewers uh, you know i'd be remiss if i didn't mention uh you know, some of my friends uh you know have you had a chance ever to uh have any burning soul beers Yes. Out at Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that every beer that uh, they brewed there was uh, fantastic. Um, I, I ended up doing a, a collaboration with them and we did a giant uh, Russian Imperial stout. And then, and then we were going to uh, uh, add marshmallow to it. Those guys, I was like, well, you know, really marshmallow is a bunch of sugar, some gelatin and, uh, you know, vanilla. I said, you know, we could add some bags of marshmallows, you know, for social media photo shots. Uh, but you know, you could just add a little bit of vanilla extract to, to it or some vanilla beans. And that's as good as adding, you know, actual marshmallows. So you don't have to do that, but I get there and they're like, no, no, no. We, if we're saying there's marshmallow in it, we're going to add actual marshmallows. And the smallest amount we could get was 50 kilos of, uh, of marshmallows. And it was a pallet of marshmallows to go into uh, 600 liters, 200 liters, something like that. It was a small brew plant. <laughs> and there's this mountain of marshmallows. And so, uh, you know, we're, we brewed this and pretty much the kettle had, you know, a few inches of headspace left and it was boiling. And so we started adding marshmallows and we're adding bag after bag after bag after. I don't know if you, you realize marshmallows don't weigh very much. So to have 50 kilos of marshmallows, it is a huge mountain of marshmallows. And we're hours of adding bags of marshmallows into this thing. And it's filled the kettle to the, to the absolute brim. And is becoming this weird, viscous uh, cauldron of uh, boiling marshmallow, and it's kind of taking on its own texture and life of its own. <laughs> and it's every once in a while, it's boiling out over the top of the, the kettle and coating the sides and forming this crust. And um, but we actually melted all those marshmallows. <laughs> into that beer and so uh I, I can i can tell you that is literally the maximum amount of marshmallow you can dissolve in boiling liquid <laughs> is, is that 
it wouldn't have taken a single marshmallow more. Uh, we just fit it all in there, but those guys are great. Uh, they're, they're just, uh, wonderful people and, uh, wonderful brewers. And, uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I, I ran, ran into them, um, at a pint night at, uh, I'll probably get it wrong. Tilt, I think it is in Birmingham. And I ran into them there and they were like, you know, we just opened and, uh, we'd love it. You know, if you stop by and tried our beers and I'm thinking, you know, I'm exhausted. I've been on the road. There's your pint night. I'm like, all right, but they seem like nice guys. So I stopped by and uh, went through all their beers. I was just like, wow, these are all really well-made. I was, I was very impressed. Not, not that there aren't a, you know, a, a number of great, great brewers in Britain, but just the consistency and quality and all of those. I was very impressed. I bet you can't imagine when you first started your your home brewing journey that you'd end up putting 50 kilos worth of marshmallows <laughs> into a beer though um how 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 far back does you where where does your your beer journey start it was uh, probably 1999 and um a, a friend of mine uh, our our next door neighbor Steve he uh, called to me uh, one day and, uh, and he says, Jamel, Jamel, uh, you know, try this beer. And he hands me this beer over the fence um, and I tried it and I was like, wow, that's fantastic. That's like no other beer I've ever had before. You know, I'm like, Steve, you know, what is this? Where do I buy it? You know, uh, tell me, tell me what, you know, who makes it? He's like, well, you can't buy it. I made it myself. I was blown away. I was like, you made it yourself. I thought you needed, you know, big factories with lots of stainless steel and German people to make beer, you know? And uh, he, you know, he made this, made this himself. And so uh, I told my wife about it. I said, Oh, Steve handed me, you know, this, this great beer and he made it himself. And uh, so, uh, my wife, she got me a Mr. Beer kit for Christmas, which is one of those little plastic, tiny plastic barrels and cans of extract. And uh, so I, I went ahead and made that and the beer turned out terrible. And I don't think it was really a fault of the Mr. Beer kit. I think I just didn't know what I was doing at all. But I had tasted Steve's beer and that got me you know, wondering, it's like, well, why did his beer turn out good? And why was mine terrible? And so I started reading and learning and uh, really became passionate about, you know, trying to make great beer. And um, I, I went from there, uh, you know, reading all these books and I tried, you know, taking my beers down to a local homebrew shop and, you know, asking them what their opinion was, because at, at one point, you know, I felt my beers were, were turning out really good, but, you know, when you have your friend come over and uh, drink your beer, they say, yeah, it's great. Or, or they tell you, you know, people tell you it's terrible or they tell you it's great, but you're not sure uh, if they're, they're being totally honest with you, you know, because it, you don't want to hurt your friend's feelings. So yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Your baby is very pretty. Uh, you're, you know, all these things. So uh you know, the Hoper shop, they were like, well, you know, 
they're saying, well, if you think it's good, you ought to send it into, you know, a competition and they will judge it, you know, uh, blind for you and you'll get feedback. And, you know, if it's good, uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll find out. And so the only competition I could find that was going on at the time was the uh, uh, Maltos Falcons uh, Mayfair. And uh, it's a, a, a long historic club that must be 40 years they've been going now, something like that. And uh, they ran this really great competition. I sent the beer in. It was actually uh, a chocolate hazelnut porter. And um, lo and behold, I got third place. And what was more important, I got um, score sheets back that had a wealth of detailed information as to what they perceived. They're like, you know, it's this way, it's that way, um, you know, the body, whatever, what have you. And I looked at that, I'm like, wow, here is, uh, you know, information on what was wrong with that beer. Uh, you know, it wasn't much, but here's things I could fix. And so I vowed to myself, I said, I'm going to rebrew this beer until I fix those problems. And then I'm going to send it back into the Mayfair the following year and see if I actually did. And so I set about rebrewing it better. I sent it into the Mayfair the next year and I got first place. And I'm like, I'm on to something here. What you do is, you know, brew your beers the best that you can, then send them into competition, get that feedback and then learn from it, change things you know, adjust your process, then, you know, see how you're going. And so that began my journey of brewing every style in the BJCP style guide and trying to brew them to a level where I would get first place in a respected competition. And my goal was not to win a bunch of medals, but rather to learn how to brew every style well. And um, that's what I did. So I did that for a number of years and I, I, I achieved that. And I uh, was asked to start writing magazine articles for uh, the, the various brewing magazines. Um, I wrote a book called Brewing Classic Styles, which it's got all those recipes in there that won first place. Uh, I started doing uh, podcasting for the Brewing Network and, and did, I've been doing uh, shows for them since 2006, 2005, something like that. Uh, thousands of hours of, of talking on podcasts. Um, so I could never run for a political office because uh, they could just pull up all the horrible <laughs> things. <I've said. laughs> well, you know. It is, it is a, a beer show with lots of drinking. So um, I've said a few things that uh, probably, probably, you know, it would be out of context. If somebody took it out of context, it could be a problem. So I did that and um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, uh, so I did the, the Brewing Classic Styles. Uh, I did a yeast book uh, with Chris White and uh, just been, uh, you know, was having a lot of fun writing magazine articles, brewing beer, uh, you know, meeting other, other home brewers. It was really, uh, you know, a magical time for me. I was also working, 
uh, at uh, Adobe, a uh, software company uh, here in the U.S. And uh, you know, my every every other moment was uh, you know beer related. So uh, eventually, I, I I quit Adobe and uh, moved on from there and uh, uh, opened Heretic. I mean, that's, that is some journey um, by any stretch of the imagination. I just want to go back. So the BJCP styles, and I know obviously it's been updated probably since you were doing your homebrewing, but how many would that have been? It's over 80 at the time. It was 80, 84 or something like that. And, and you wanted to sort of almost like complete the set then? Yes. I'm, I'm a little OCD. Uh, I just, you know, and also I, I felt it would be quite an education because the beers in there, a lot of them are, are quite different from each other and require different brewing processes and different skills, different ingredients. And so it became a, this tremendous education as to uh, brewing ingredients, how they worked, you know, what effect they had, you know, uh, the different yeasts, different fermentation profiles, the different, you know, ways of mashing, just so many different things that I had to learn in order to, um, you know, produce a beer of that quality. So, you know, the education was huge. That's what's allowed me, I think, uh, to do, you know, other things brewing wise, you know, that, that knowledge I gained through doing that. And, you know, it never was a chore. It was, it was a joy to work on all those things. That was, that was my hobby. That was my fun. That was every time I brewed, I felt like I was on vacation. Is, is there one in there that, stands out either for a very very good reason or a very very bad reason you know it, it would probably be you know the uh, light loggers like an american light logger um you know that that's probably the ones that i i enjoy the least um but uh you know the, the, but you can appreciate the skill it takes and you can you start to learn the nuances the flavor nuances of, of those different beers. Um, you know, they say, uh, you know, people can't tell the difference between, you know, a, a Miller, a, a Coors and a Budweiser. But once you learn the subtleties of, of brewing those, it becomes fairly easy to, to, to pick those out. Um, you know, the, they say people can't tell the difference between um, Guinness, uh, Beamish, and Murphy's. And being, being an American, uh, I, I was going over to uh, Ireland to brew with um, uh, Eight Degrees and uh, do, a, do a collab with them. And they, they picked me up at the airport and... Uh, uh, really wonderful people there that uh, I had a, a marvelous time. They picked me up from the airport and then they, they took me out to um, uh, a bar that served all three. And there's like, okay, now you, we're going to pour you a Beamish, a Murphy's and a Guinness. And you need to tell us, you know, which, which is which. And uh they're like, well, we'll do it with you. And they said, uh, you know, lots of people try this and very few people actually can get it right. And so um, I sat and uh, 
went through them and I could tell, you know, while one's roastier, one's a bit sweeter and one seems, you know, thin. And I knew from, uh, I used to write a, uh, the style profile column for a magazine called brew your own in, in the U S and, uh, I did a dry stout, uh, recipe clone recipes and I had isolated those three beers. And I remembered Beamish is the roastier one. Murphy's is a sweeter one and Guinness is the thinner one. And so just based off of that, I hadn't tasted them for like 10 years. And, uh, I was like, well, this is Beamish, this is Murphy's, this is Guinness. And I was right. They were blown away. They're like, okay, this American guy is able to do this. And it's because of, you know, uh, understanding that style and knowing the parameters of that style and knowing the subtleties of what makes a, um, a dry stout, a dry stout, I was able to, to pick those out. And that was, you know, not having tasted them for, for all those years. And so, you know, it's the same thing on something like light American lager, where I'm not a big fan of drinking those. I don't choose to ever really drink light American lager. Um, but I can tell you some of the subtleties of them. Uh, and so I, I really appreciate the brewing skill it takes to produce those. It's not a beer I would produce, but um, it takes quite a bit of skill to do it. It's, it's a recipe choice, not a, a lack of brewing skill that makes uh, these mammoth breweries produce this really light, uh, close to flavorless uh, lager. Um, so that's, that's one style. There's other styles that I thought I wouldn't enjoy, but once, once I knew uh, lambics come to mind, you know, the first lambics initially, I just went out and bought bottles of every different beer I could find. And when you do that and you don't really understand what the beer is supposed to be, you drink a lambic and you're like, Oh my God, something's wrong with this beer. You know, so, you know, this is, this is disgusting. And so, that sounds uh, like Steve. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my view every time I drink one of those styles. <laughs> but, but then I learned about it and I was able to, um, you know, uh, start learning about the history and why, why it's made that way, how it's made. And I started to appreciate them. And, um, you know, even without brewing them, you know, reading about that made me start to appreciate what kind of a beer it was. And then, uh, once I started brewing them, I really, you know, kind of got into the subtleties of the flavors and the character of it. And it, it, it really paid off handsomely in, you know, other beers that I was brewing. You know, it's, again, completely different techniques. The, the world of light American lager versus Lambics, it, it's, it's uh, you know, as, as distant as you can get. But, uh, you know, there's two examples of styles I didn't like or didn't think I would like and ended up really appreciating. Um, I, I may not drink a lot of either in, in a general day, uh, but uh, I really do appreciate them now. So I appreciate all those, all the styles in the style guide. You've, you've obviously got a huge knowledge of, of, of everything as well in, in, in terms of all of those styles that you've been through and, and understanding them and researching them and then, and, and then brewing them. So, so we have 
a fair few homebrewers listen to, to, to the show. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to, to either someone just coming into homebrew or, or somebody that's been homebrewing for a while and looking to develop the, the, their skills? What's, what's the advice that you give to homebrewers? Well, you know, keep brewing. The more you brew, uh, the better you'll get at it. So, um, don't, uh, don't stop brewing. If you, if you, um, if you can, you know, brew regularly, don't brew, you know, once and then wait six months and brew again, try and brew if you can every week. Uh, you know, if you could every day, uh, one of the reasons, you know, professional brewers get better is that a lot of them, you know, they're brewing every day and they're brewing the same beer, you know, every couple of weeks and you start to kind of master your craft that way. One of the, one of the tricks I, I tell people is, you know, try and produce the same beer twice. These are the same ingredients. Try to make exactly the same beer twice. And if you can't uh, pick out in a triangle test, if people can't pick out in a triangle test where you pour two of one beer, one of another beer, and then, you know, it's blindly given to somebody. If they cannot pick out the beer that's different, then you've brewed the same beer twice. And so it takes a tremendous amount of skill to do that. If you are really, uh, you know, mastering your craft, if you, if you can do that, then your, your technique has been kind of perfected, at least for that beer. And then you can start messing with, well, I want to change the way the beer is. I want to adjust the ingredients. I adjust the recipe. I want to adjust the water. I want to adjust the, the process. And then you can start to see what your adjustments uh, uh, reveal. So, uh, you know, people will change the brewing process left and right and not really know what the cause and effect was, uh, you know, so repetition is, is key to, I think, mastering brewing. And, you know, if, if you can't make the same beer twice, then you're really not in control of your process. I think that's a, a fascinating uh, insight for homebrewers, but equally I would suggest that some up and coming breweries could also follow that advice with trying to churn out, new beer after new beer because people want to chase what's next what's the next trend and perhaps not even being able to identify a core range or style within the beers they produce and i think some new and startup breweries sometimes suffer from that not having done the repetition you know that's that's true i you know it, it is you know, beer, beer drinkers, beer consumers, uh, reap what they sow. If, if as a consumer, you're asking for a brewery to produce a new beer, uh, you know, every week, every day, you know, people, uh, you know, want continuously new beers. Well, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get breweries that don't have a chance to really dial in uh, you know, specific beers and make them, you know, the greatest beers possible. Instead, you're getting whatever they can put together that's, that's new. And, you know, I think that's unfortunate because, you know, some of these classics that we were talking about earlier in the British beer scene, some of these casts, they've been brewed, you know, repeatedly uh, and perfected and they're, they're truly great beers. 
if they had to make a new beer every week, <laughs> it wouldn't be so good. Um, and that's, that's part of the problem. Um, so, you know, the, the consumer should get whatever the consumer wants, but they also need to understand that, you know, they're, um, I have a friend, uh, Travis, who I love dearly, uh, but he's what you would call a ticker. So when, uh, when we go out and, and have beers um, in, in England, we were, we we're in England, uh, you know, going around pub to pub and everywhere he went, he's like, well, let's see, look at his phone. He's like, well, I haven't had that or that. So I'm going to have that. I'm like, well, they have, you know, this one here that you love that you think is one of the greatest beers in the world. He's like, yeah, but I've had it. I'm like, I haven't had these. I'm like, okay. So he's kind of got the, this OCD about, about trying different beers. I don't have that OCD for me. It's like, Hey, I know this beer. I love this beer. I'm going to have that. Um, so he would order these other beers. And a lot of times he's like, Oh, this is terrible. And I'm like, well, don't drink it. Just, uh, you know, go get something else. He's like, no, no, no. It's like, I bought it. I'm going to drink it. You know, that's what the consumer wants. So as a, if you want to stay in business, you have to keep producing what people want, not what you want, uh, but what they want. Now, one of the things about having a business is, well, you get to make these choices. We we're talking earlier about, oh, you know, I get to make the porter because I like the porter. I also make, uh, you know, a number of beers that I'm just like, we need to, you know, throw me a bone every once in a while. Let me have a beer that I want to drink. And we make a number of beers I like to drink, but I like, you know, bitter. I like porter. I like, you know, these beers that just don't sell very well in the U.S. So every once in a while, we'll knock one of those out and make some make some casks for me. But, um, you know, on the whole, we have to, you know, keep producing, uh, you know, what the consumer wants. So, yes, I could make the bar brewery produce just beers that I like to drink, but then I'm limiting it to just people like me. And, you know, I probably not a whole lot of people like me. You've got to appeal to everyone, haven't you? That's, that, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and not even everyone, but enough of the population that you can sell enough beer to stay in business. Cause if you don't, then, you know, the whole thing was kind of pointless they're asking for, you know, a continuous supply of new beers. You get people in, we've got 20 some odd beers on tap that we brew and we're constantly brewing new beers and adding them in and, you know, small batch stuff as well. And there's always, you know, three or four, every time you come down, you know, there's a, there's a few new things on the menu, but we've had people complain. It's like, Oh, there's nothing new here. It's all the same beers. It's like, We've brewed 200 different beers. You can't tell me that it's all the same. Uh, but, you know, those people I'm not too worried about. Um, because some consumers, they also um, really enjoy, uh, you know, a, a steady beer. They have their beer that, that we make that they love. And we need to produce that as well. Um, you know, the whole selling of beer thing is not what I enjoy. It's, it's the worst part of brewing is having to sell beer. The best part of brewing 
and I tell people who are home brewers and they're like, I'm going to open a brewery. I'm like, don't ruin a great hobby. You know, you are going to be unhappy. You're not going to be, you know, when you, when you can brew whatever you want, whenever you want uh, in the volume you want, you don't have to worry about selling it or labeling it. You can just give it to people and share it with your friends. That's wonderful. That I love that. And when people come down to the brewery and if I have to pour beer for somebody, uh, for a customer, nine times out of 10, I'll just hand it to them. I'm like, here, it's on me. Don't worry about it. You know, they'll have cash in hand. I'm like, nope, nope. Here, just take the beer. Cause I, I just hate selling beer. I hate charging people for beer. One of the things I loved about home brewing was just sharing beer with friends. While we have been listening to you, Jamil, um, the porter in Steve's glass and my glass appears to have just disappeared. Evaporated. Yes, yes. Just incredibly drinkable. Incredibly drinkable beer. Really, really tasty stuff. Um, what, what beer have we got next, Steve? Well, we're drinking a beer called Worry. Jamil, tell us about this one, actually. Again, I'm not going to try and explain your beer to you. Um, t- tell, us, tell us what this beer is all about. It's an interesting beer. This this is actually one of the very first beers we brewed as well. So uh, Shallow Grave, uh, Worry, um, I always wanted to do um, barrel-aged, you know, complex beers. And so we did it at, at the very beginning. Um, this is a uh, Belgian golden uh, style ale. Uh, aged in Chardonnay barrels, uh, along with the uh, Britannomyces. Uh, and it's got this uh, really great nose to it with the wood, the Chardonnay, the Brett. Um, I can see you oohing and on there. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on on that nose. It's, it's like all f- fruity as, as, as well. There's so much fruit going on in that, right? Yeah, it is like a fresh Chardonnay. So it's not like a an uh, a really heavily oak aged Chardonnay. It's got it's a really fresh smelling, and you mm-hmm. can get a whiff of it as soon as you open the can. Let alone once you've decanted it into a glass. And right. yes, uh, apologies from Steve and I for you having to put up with those facial expressions there, Jamil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad to see it. You know, that's the reaction we're we're looking for. You know, kind of that wow uh you know uh reaction um you know on every beer um there's so much going on but the the one thing that's really standing out for me it's bone dry on 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 the finish and that is absolutely delicious as as far as it as the finish of it goes it's just perfect right there's some a, a bit of sweetness up front coming from the alcohols uh, it is, you know, 10 plus percent. We, we brew this, uh, you know, we brew uh, a Belgian golden uh, and then uh, we put it in these uh, fresh uh, Chardonnay barrels. We get them from uh, Gurgich Hills. So I don't know if you know uh, wine, uh, but Gurgich, Gurgich Hills was the Napa Valley winery that, was kind of uh, made famous by uh, they sent the Chardonnay into a, a French uh, Chardonnay competition, wine competition back in the seventies, I think something like that. And they won the whole thing. And 
people were blown away that, you know, this American winery in Napa Valley could, you know, win in France in a Chardonnay competition. But, but they did. And it kind of put Napa on the map. Well, they're not very far from us. We're, we're adjacent to Napa. So uh, I made friends with the, the winemaker there and uh, I was able to get some, some Chardonnay barrels from them. And we've tried other Chardonnay barrels that we could get cheaper or easier, but the, the flavor and complexity just isn't there. The ones from Gurkish Hills, uh, it's key to making this beer. So we'll, we'll brew the beer, we'll add these Chardonnay barrels, and then we'll add uh, Britannomyces to uh, uh, keep it. You, you see the color is uh, still, you know, quite, quite clear and golden. Um, uh, if you, so we've aged this in barrels, uh, for two years. And if you don't add the bread, the beer, uh, will be a horrible brown color <laughs> from all the oxidation and staling. The oxygen gets through the wood and stales the beer and you end up with this really flabby, uninteresting beer. Um, but you can actually add the, the bread back to the barrel after the fact, and it will return to a, a bright color. So that's why the Chardonnay seems so fresh and why the, you know, it finishes so dry is because of that Britannomyces action. The, the Britannomyces yeast, it will take that micro oxygen that's coming in or oxygen that's already gotten in and staled it and it will utilize that. And, uh, you know, it keeps essentially fermenting continuously and that's why it, it tastes fresh because of the Britannomyces. Because I was expecting, having just read briefly about the beer, that I was going to get some of those, like the barrel aged notes, as in like some of the wood character coming through. And I have to admit, I'm not really getting any wood character. I am just getting fresh, almost grape, fruit-like character from mm. it. And then that lovely flavor going all the way through. And then as Steve said, that, that sort of bone dry finish. I get quite a bit of oak personally. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting there. What about you, Steve? There's uh, a hint in there. It's it's very, very subtle for me, um, more so towards the finish, um, just before the, the, the dryness kicks in. But uh, again, I think that the key thing, much like much like the Porter Jamil, it's so well balanced from beginning to end. If everything about that beer is perfection in, in, in a glass. It it is it's so drinkable and again it's uh, is, is this why it's called worry because it's worryingly drinkable for for 10.7 percent I, I mean it's it's a big beer when we started out uh you know purchasing these chardonnay barrels uh doesn't come cheap and the ingredients and then tying it up uh you know for two years before you can sell it uh, you know, when you're a small brewery, that is quite worrying uh, as to, you know, the financial risk on this. If the beer doesn't turn out and, and there are barrels that do not work out that we end up having to dump. So, uh, you know, only a percentage of the barrels actually make it through and into, into the finished product. Um, so because of that, it, I was quite worried about whether or not we, you know, I was risking our entire future because we did this, this was, you know, I think our second or third or beer that we brewed 
when we first started and to brew it and then put it in barrels and let it sit there for two years was crazy. Um, we had another beer called miscreant. It takes four years to make, uh, you know, I haven't been able to make it again. We've only made it once, but you know, four years on a beer, you know, the, this is one of the things about, you know, some of these lambics, you know, the one, two, and three-year uh, aging, and, you know, they'll blend. We do that, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to appreciate how extreme that is when you're starting up uh, to, you know, have to wait four years to for, for a beer to be done. It, it must have been quite a jump to have gone from homebrewing to starting a brewery and running commercial batches of, of of beers that you had only previously brewed as home brews it, it, it was um <clears throat> you know the the interesting part is home brewing people make uh you know a big deal about you know commercial brewing and and respect that and uh, a lot of people denigrate uh home brewing as if you know home brewing is somehow you know, just a bunch of slobs that, you know, want to get drunk. I'm sure that there are people that, you know, want just cheap alcohol, but the majority of homebrewers I've met want to make the greatest beer in the world. That's what they're shooting for is perfection. They're shooting for making a great beer, you know, maybe equivalent to a beer that they've had, but, you know, once they've done that, they want to make a better beer than they've ever had. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a passion that they bring to that and the the equipment that they have there's there's no reason why a home brewer can't make as great a beer as any commercial producer you have actually more uh flexibility and ability uh brewing small batch than you do big when it gets big the problem is you can't pick up the vessel and move it right <laughs> you're stuck with what you've got. Um, so homebrewers have that advantage. So the, you know, the transition from homebrew to, to professional brewing, I had also hung out with a lot of different brewers. I'd done uh, uh, brews on professional systems and, and seen enough breweries and talked to enough brewers that I knew that. And then, uh, you know, when we, when we started Heretic, um, the transition to professional brewing, I was very lucky in that, um, still as a home brewer, I was with my friend, uh, Peter Simons from, uh, uh, Australia. We, we were on a road trip from California through to Minnesota for the homebrewers conference. And we, we went through Denver or went through Colorado and, um, this one brewer had reached out to us and said, well, you know, if you're passing through, stop at our brew pub and uh, we'll feed you. It was, uh, uh, like, Indian food and, and craft beer. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> uh, so he, 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 you know, bought us lunch and sampled us on his beers. And he had like six different beers. And um, I thought all of them were really well done. I'm like, man, these are, these are great. And later on, uh, he came and hung out with us at an event at a, at a brew shop. And we we're talking, he's like, why don't you open a commercial brewery? It's like, you, you have all this knowledge and you have, you know, all this following, you should open a brewery. I said, 
I'm just not interested. You know, it'd be a ton of work and I'd ruin the hobby that I love by making it a job. I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I said, but I tell you, if I ever open a commercial brewery, you can be the head brewer. <laughs> like, great. And so I, and I had zero intention of ever opening a brewery because I knew how much work it would be later on. It was only maybe a couple of months later, my wife was pushing me to get off the couch and, and do something. I had quit my software job at Adobe to, um, uh, write the yeast book, uh, that I wrote with, uh, Chris White. And, uh, so I spent like a year doing that and she's like, okay, what are you going to do next? I said, well, I'm going to write more books. I'm going to do more, you know, appearances at homebrew shops and conferences. And that's what I'm going to do. And she's like, that's not a job. You need a real job. <laughs> and my wife is very wise. I've learned this over the, over the years. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get another software job. I'm done with that. I can't do that anymore. I said, uh, you know, I, I can open a brewery. And every time I had mentioned that before, she was just like, no, you're not going to open a brewery. You know, you've got a great job. Don't, you're not going to do that. And this time she's like, well, yeah, go ahead and open a brewery then. And so I opened a brewery. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, how, we, how we got started, really. Tell us about the name as well. How did you come up with Heretic Brewing? Yeah, so I've always loved names that are, you know, simple, you know, one word. I like, you know, Stone, I think is a great, uh, you know, brewery name. Anchor uh, is a great brewery name. Um, you know, I like those uh, Firestone. I like, you know, one word brewery names. Uh, you know, when you're talking with beer people, you say Stone. And you say Lagunitas and you say, you know, people are, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I like words with, you know, some weight to them, some heft to them, uh, being kind of a word guy. And uh, so I had some names in mind and all of them were taken. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that's already like a beer. That's already like a brewery. That's already I'm like, oh my God. And this was in the earlier days. This is, you know, before the real boom in breweries happened. I'm like, it's impossible to find a name for a brewery. And so I remember I was, it was like 2 a.m. I'm clicking through the Google synonym finder. And I, you know, for whatever word I had, I was clicking on synonyms of that. And I was getting further and further from my original name. And Every time I, I found something that I thought sounded good, I Google it. And sure enough, there was a brewery already. There was a beer already. I'm like, ah, man. So I kept clicking through and eventually I landed on Heretic. And um, uh, it, it turned out nobody had, nobody had taken it. I'm like, wow, that's actually, I, I understand people would think maybe it's, you know, a lot to do with religion. So maybe that's a bad thing. And maybe that's why people avoided it. But for me, um, you know, a heretic. And, and if you, if you, uh, you know, really look into what a heretic is, a heretic is just somebody who, um, doesn't, you know, follow along with the, you know, the majority opinion, you know, Galileo was a heretic, um, not because he was against the church, but because he figured out, you know, how the, that the earth wasn't the center of the universe, that the sun was and the planets were moving around the sun. He figured that out. And for that, he was branded a heretic. Uh, he wasn't anti-church. He was just 
figured out something scientifically. So, uh, you know, it's the same thing in the beer world, you know, where 10% of people drink something other than mass market light lager. So mass, mar mass market light lager, according to everybody around us, is the world of beer. That's what you should be drinking. That is the great beer of the world, right? But, you know, by deciding to drink something else, uh, to drink craft beer, to drink, you know, these, uh, you know, these, you know, traditional British cascales, we're beer heretics, right? We're, we're, we're doing the, uh, the opposite of what everybody else does. So, you know, uh, heresy to me is just doing something different than everybody else. Um, it's, it's not a religious thing, but, you know, beer is a bit of a religion for me. So, <laughs> But you can you can name a brewery after yourself, right? So there's there's names you know uh, essentially uh, you know Firestone and you know, some of these others. Um, but I, I couldn't name anything Zanishef Brewing because nobody would be able to pronounce it, nobody would be able to spell it. They'd be like, "What the hell is that?" And we wouldn't sell any beer. Uh, when we started, we started in a place called Pittsburgh, California. You, know, you may have heard of another Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, the famous Pittsburgh. But, you know, if I named it Pittsburgh Brewing, uh, then nobody would know what that was either. So it really had to have a different name. And, and that's how it ended up uh, as Heretic. And where is the, where's the brewery based? Fairfield, California, which is, it's about an hour east of San Francisco. It's right next to Napa, uh, California. It's maybe 20 minutes from downtown Napa. Um, so we're, we're just east of San Francisco, in between San Francisco and Sacramento. Um, we're part of both Brewers Guilds, the <laughs> East Bay and Brewers Guild, the Sacramento Brewers Guild. And it's brewery and drinking space as well. Yes, we have a, a pretty good sized tap room. Um, I think there's maybe 180 seats normally inside and another 80 outside. Um, and then uh, we have a distillery as well. Um, the entire building is about uh, 24,000, 25,000 square feet. But bringing that back to the beer, it's, you know, this 10% plus um, barrel-aged wine-inspired beer, again, it definitely has similarities with the porter in so much as it's, 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 it's very clean. It's actually quite light as well for a, for a barrel-aged beer, I think. Um, but all those flavours just carried on coming through in waves as you carry on drinking it. And none of that alcohol heartburn, there's no burn at all from it. Well, and, you know, that's the way that a Belgian Golden should be. You know, it shouldn't be heavy. It shouldn't be syrupy. It should be light, refreshing, um, you know, uh, and it's, it's all about, uh, you know, a little bit of background malt, but, you know, it's really more fermentation forward. And so it's, it's that same thing, you know, with the Chardonnay layered in there, the barrel la layered in there, a little bit of Britannomyces layered in there, you know, and, and that's how it should be. If it, if it came off uh, you know, heavy or syrupy or something like that, then, uh, you know, it, it really wouldn't be a Belgian golden Um and it wouldn't have the balance, you know, balance is so important in a beer. Um, even, even, uh, you know, a West coast IPA that's, you know, it's, you think, Oh, it's hops, it's bitter. It's, you know, 
no, there's still balance to those. You know, there's, there's a lot of things to do. I mean, the balance may be layered towards, you know, bittering or hopping or something like that or certain flavors, but overall the result needs to be something that just drinks really easily. And that's what you're shooting for. And I think, you know, whether or not you should drink pints of worry, um, that is a different, that is a different question, you know, uh, but it should be, you know, so drinkable that you're, you're just like, wow, I could drink pints of this. I, I could happily yourself. drink another one of those right, right yeah. now. That, that is so, so uh, delicious. Um, and it was almost like every time you went back to it, you were getting some slight variations in the flavors as, mm -hmm. as, as well. So you'd pick up something new. Every, as every it time. warms up. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite sad that it's finished actually, but, but not, not to the point where I'm that sad that I'm also very excited about the next beer that we're going to be, be drinking with you um, mm. because this is uh, an absolute beast. Again, I'm not going to introduce your own beer to you, Jamil. So please tell us um, all about Evil 3. When people ask all the time, you know, what beer are you most proud of? What beer are you, you know, do you love? I mean, I, I love them all. Like I love, love, you know, my, my children. Uh, but Evil 3 is one that has a uh, tremendous spot in my heart. Um, it is a, uh, you know, a hoppy uh, West Coast IPA that is deceptively uh, dangerous in its, uh, the way it's fermented in the alcohol. Uh, you know, 11 and a half percent, it's just so easy drinking. This came about, uh, I was always uh, friends with uh, uh, Mike uh, McDole, Mike Tasty McDole, he was a home brewer kind of a famous homebrewer uh, and a real character. Uh, and uh, Mitch Steele, he was at the time uh, the head brewer at uh, Stone Brewing in Escondido. Um, so we were at a, a beer festival, uh, the Brewing Network Beer Festival uh, one year. And we're hanging out enjoying some beers and uh, Mike said, Hey, you know, you two guys should do a collaboration sometime, you know, Mitch and Jamel, you should do a collaboration sometime. I said, yeah, let's do a collaboration. Mitch is like, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. And I said, but you know, Tasty, you need to be part of it. And I said, you know, it needs to be the three of us. Let's get together. We'll do it at my brewery at, at Heretic and uh, you know, we'll come up with a beer. So we decided to do a collab. And, you know, it turned, we were just like, it's going to be, you know, one-time thing. We're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? We're going to do, uh, you know, well, let's do something hoppy. The three of us like hoppy beers. We like, you know, IPAs. I'm like, well, there's three of us. Let's do a triple IPA. And then, you know, we had this tendency of naming things that were really hoppy evil. And so... Well, there's three of us, evil, evil three. Initially, it was evil cubed, right? <laughs> but uh, a lot of people don't know the maths around uh, cubed. So <laughs> people just started calling it evil three. And so it just became evil three. And we got together and we brewed it. We had such a good time doing it 
it was so much fun and we loved being together and hanging out um, that we're like, okay, we have to do this next year too. And so we did it again. And then uh, we're like, okay, well, all right, this is a thing now, you know, we've done it twice. Now we're going to do it every year. Uh, so we, we do it every year now and, uh, we did every year. And, uh, this last year, our dear friend, uh, Tasty, uh, Mike McDowell, he, uh, he passed away. Uh, and so, uh, we lost him and, uh, now his son is gonna, is gonna step up and brew with us. Uh, Lee McDowell is gonna be part of it. It's just one of those things that we really loved the camaraderie and the, the joy of spending that time together and, and being connected, you know, it, it, it's like family. It's like, you know, you know, even better than family is people that you love <laughs> unconditionally. So uh, we, you know, the, the, the three of us, it, and it, you know, the, you know, the, the planet that that was, you know, it's, had its own gravity and brought in other people and you know people enjoyed just being part of the the brewing uh before the pandemic we would have evil three day which is the the release date for this it's always the day before the the uh american football uh super bowl was played and um you know we would have a line of people down the block we actually fill growlers directly off the fermenter for for people it's just just the most wonderful time, and uh, we we really loved uh, kind of hanging out and, and doing that. Um, so it's yeah, there's there's a lot in my heart for for Evil Three, and then I think it's a great beer. I've got a, a number of drinking stories that go with Evil Three. <laughs> Is there any you can remember though? Give it it's eleven percent plus. <laughs> yes, I, a couple of them. Um, one is, uh, I don't know if you know who John Palmer is. He's, he's a friend of mine. He also, uh, uh, well-known, uh, home brewer written, uh, some books and, uh, he, uh, he's head of the MBAA technical, uh, right now, I think, uh, anyways, uh, he was coming up to Northern, he lives in Southern California. He was coming up to Northern California. And I said, well, you know, we're having an event, uh, you know, at this, at this bar with our beer on, I said, you know, come and meet me there. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And, uh, so he meets up, you know, comes in the events already. And so he's like, just give me whatever, you know, the, the special beer is that's on. I'll, I'll, I'll have one of those. And so they bring him a pint. And, you know, just getting in, he downs that pint and, and, you know, pretty quick. Of this, this beer? Evil three, yes. Okay. And then, and then he's like, uh, the, the waiter comes around. He's like, I'll take another one of those. And, uh, you know, we're talking to people and, you know, he drinks that pretty quick too. And the waiter comes around. He's like, yeah, I'll have another one. And I said, John, I said, uh, this is, you know, 11 and a half percent. I said, you want to slow down. He's like, oh my God, I thought it was maybe like six, seven. He's like, that was just IPA. I'm like, no, it's a triple IPA. You know, it's a really smooth, uh, delicious beer. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, he was shocked. He, he'll tell you that story too. He's like, oh, he was feeling it. It's much, much like both of the other beers that we've enjoyed of yours this evening. It's it's very, very clean mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of ev everything you get from this beer 
is what you intend us to taste. So you've got all the flavor, you've, you've got the body, but you've got none of the alcohol and and that's, that's, that's the, that's the magic in in this beer. Harsh alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's no burn at the end. I, you know, I've drunk 11 and a half percent beers before and you, you get a real burn at the end of it, but this is just like, it's like, nah, it's it's, it's like drinking water. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 this is probably, I know we're only in March right now, but it's probably my favorite beer of this year so far. And, And it's when we first discovered it, when when it appeared on on the Malt Millers website over here, Martin and I were just blown away, and we were like, "We we need to drink this. This I think this is going to be everything that we love in a beer." And I, I'm just I'm almost speech. I'm running out of words here, Martin. You've got, you've got to jump in here. Yeah, we weren't we weren't disappointed because yeah, we started off by seeing the words West Coast IPA, and then Heretic. No, don't know who Heretic is. I've heard of Mort Miller though, and then they said they've done the whole cold chain thing. Yes, Steve, we need an order. This, I don't care. Order. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea that it could be literally so smooth, clean, and drinkable. Because I don't mind a bit. I'll be honest. I actually don't mind a bit of alcohol burn sometimes. You know, sometimes when you have a beer which is very warming and starts to rise up and yes. then gives you a little bit of a hit. I don't mind that because it's telling you I'm a big beer, maybe a bit like a bourbon yeah. County stout from goose Island. Warming and, and, and where you feel that rise up into your, up into your head. That's okay. But burning a lot of high alcohol beers burn, you know, they don't, they don't have that thing where, where you pour it in your stomach and then it just kind of rises and fills you with warmth. That's, I think, perfect. Um, but some of these things, it's like drinking paint thinner. Yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't want burn. I don't want like hot burn. I don't want alcohol burn from a beer. I, I want that warming sensation. So, so, so yeah, give me a, a lovely big imperial stout in the winter that's going to warm me all the way through. Give me uh, a, a triple IPA like this that is going to warm me as, as 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 I drink it, but don't give me a beer that's going to actually burn me and and going to have me reaching for the the the, the anti acid stuff, you, you know, because that's that's not what I want from in, enjoying my hobby. I, I want lovely flavors. I want I, I want all of those feelings that come with it. And this does deliver that. And you know, again. This is the star that me and Steve found that started our our beer journey. This is the West Coast piney resinous bitterness. This is our modus operandi. And I, I would have to agree with Steve. As a beer of the year contender, it's probably going to take quite a lot to beat this. So you might have ruined the rest of my year, Jamil. <laughs> well, I'll send you more next year. Uh, I, I, I do... I, I normally I normally don't do this, but I don't want to compare our beers to anyone else's beers directly. I mean, I, I, I do compare them and I compare them, you know, privately in, in my thought. And I want to be, you know, we're in the greatest beer in the world. Not that we are, but that's always my goal. 
But I think that this is one of the greatest triple IPAs that's been brewed or is being brewed. I really, I believe that. And, and I, I don't want to be, you know, self-promoting and, and saying that you know, somehow we're better than any other brewery, but I, I think people need to try this beer. I think people, you know, we've been perfecting it over the years and I think it's, it's really stunningly good. I, I think it's brilliant that we can now get it in the UK. The malt mill has been great. I'm, you know, it's been such a struggle. I love, I love the UK. I have, I've been there. I've spent at least a couple of months uh, in the UK. Uh, there's so many cool things about it. I, if I could live somewhere else, that's where I would live. Um, but uh, you know, it's been a struggle to find a, you know, reliable uh, uh, distributor. I, I had some stuff lined up and things changed and I couldn't get it done. Our good friends at uh, Mondo Brewing. Have you, have you been to Mondo? Yes. Uh, south for the river in London. Yes. 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 Tom and uh, Todd, great, great folks there. Wonderful people. Makes some great beer um, for, for a few years there. Uh, they did me the great uh, honor of uh, importing, a, air freighting a pallet of our beer in, and they would uh, put a big party on with all our beers on tap, and then they would distribute the rest out to other bars and stuff to help pay to, you know, break even on the rest of it. Um, you know, just wonderful folks. They did that for years, and that was really helpful, but they're not beer distributors. That's not their you know, it's not their job as a brewery to distribute some other brewers' beers, but they did it. it you know, it's so kind of them. I love those guys. Um, and uh, so that helped, but, you know, it still wasn't really a distributor. And then uh, uh, Robert at uh, the Malt Miller, uh, somebody was on Twitter and was like, I wish I could get your beer in England. I'm like, well, you know, help me find a distributor. You know, I'm trying, but I can't find one. And then uh, the malt miller, like, you know, we're looking at possibly distributing beer, uh, you know. And so I, I, I looked up the malt miller and all the, the stuff they do and how they treat like their hops and everything else. It's really high end. I mean, they really do things right. You know, the cold chain all the way. They, they understand why it's important that, you know, something uh, be treated properly. And uh, I really appreciate that. So, you know, I'm all in on the malt miller. I think, uh, you know, this is going to be a great partnership and they, they respect what they're, what we're doing. We respect what they're doing. And uh, so we're, we're trying to get uh, one of the things that we do is, um, you know, people will say, it's like, you know, I'm in England and I got beer, you know, packaged 10 days ago. It's like, how is that possible? Well, what we try and do is the further away a distributor is, we try to make sure to send them the freshest beer, right? So um, if, if it's local to us, it's okay for a beer to go out that's two weeks old or three weeks old. It's like two, three weeks old, that's fine. And it's cold stored at our place. And then it goes to the distributor, it goes to the shelves and people are getting fresh, great beer. 
But when it takes two to three weeks for the beer to get somewhere, you need to send them, you know, beer that was packaged today or yesterday. And then they can have beer that's two, three weeks old that is, you know, been cold chained and you get things as fresh as, as if it was in the tap room. Uh, we have a distributor in Japan, uh, AQ Bevolution, and they also, you know, cold chain everything the whole way. And um, I was in Japan and they, every place you go to where your beer is on, they will ask you, it's like, how does it taste? Is that good? They're so worried that they have somehow, you know, not put on, you know, the perfect thing. And my beer tastes like, and, and I tell them, it's like, this tastes like it does in my tap room. You know, it's just amazing. That must be perfect when you hear that kind of a comment from someone who says from literally the other side of the world, that mm -hmm. your beer tastes the same as it does in a tap room. That's what we want. And, you know, and the, so <laughs> here's where we're, you know, the, a little bit of honesty here, uh, although I've been honest through this whole thing, I guess. Um, the whole reason I want our beer in all these countries is because I like to travel and meet people and you know, experience different things. Uh, you know, I love visiting other countries and seeing, you know, the rest of the world. People get too uh, insular and, and, you know, they settle in and, uh, you know, I think the United States is an amazing, filled with amazing people and, and capable of, you know, such great things. But you go to other countries and you learn that, you know, the people there are, are equally amazing and equally capable of amazing things. And you also learn there's a different way to do things that may be just as good or better than what you do. And so travel is one of the things that I think uh, is one of the most enriching things you can do as a person um, is to meet other people and appreciate what they do and, and respect what they do. And so I, you know, once <laughs> uh, Japan was actually the first foreign, uh, you know, outside the U.S., uh, distributor we had and they begged me for two years to, to sell a beer and it's one of the best um, and once I did that I realized that my wife would be cool with me traveling to these countries to do some you know promotional work uh, it would be actual work for me to go and visit you know the UK uh, Sweden, Japan, Thailand, uh, Singapore, all this stuff. So I've uh, taken advantage of the fact that uh, we can sell our beer and whether it pencils out or not, um, my wife is okay with me traveling to all these countries and, and having this uh, grand beer adventure, meeting beer people and trying different beers. I, I just love it. It's the, that's the best part of commercial brewing is I get to pay for my my world travels <laughs> through through the brewery so there you go as you've mentioned the, the the p word how has it been for you know you and heretic through the last year of keeping the brewery going tap room getting your beers out there 
during during the pandemic? Well, it's it's been it's been difficult, but it's been difficult for everybody. So you can't you can't be a whiner and complainer. You can't be can't be whinging, right? <laughs> you gotta you've got to uh, you know you've got to just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Uh, the hardest part has been on our employees. Um, we have been able to retain you know most of our employees. Um, you know, and it, and it's, you know, my, my goal was, you know, don't let anybody go, keep, keep going. It doesn't matter, you know, what happens, but cut to a point where, you know, if your tap room shut down, you, you, you can't keep employing the people that, you know, work in the tap room. It's, it's very difficult. Um, and, and, and that's been the thing for me. I've, I know it sounds weird and it's not the thing to uh, that I really, you know, say to all our employees, but I, I'm a dad. <laughs> I've got two, two, two kids that mean the world to me, but you know, these 40 some odd people that work at the brewery, they're my children, you know, they're, they are very important to me and the, the thing you do as a business owner is, you know, you're either a, a benefit or you're a detriment to your community. And one of the ways that you are a benefit is you provide good jobs and the, and the, you know, the services and the products that you supply to your community are at a fair price and you don't, uh, you know, do negative things to the environment. And, you know, there's a whole lot of things around that. And so, you know, I really take that to heart and it, it's so important to me to provide, you know, a safe workplace that is, you know, pays well. And, you know, there's, there's some joy to what you're doing. Uh, you sh should never work at a job that you don't enjoy, that you don't think is, you know, uh, something you should be doing. You should be, you know, passionate about that. So that's been the hardest part of the pandemic is, you know, I'm, I look at these people as my children. And I really want them to be happy and successful and, you know, feel like what they do makes a difference. And that's, that's difficult in the best of times and it's doubly difficult in pandemic times. So I'm trying to do what I can to, to help them. I was going to say, it must be quite hard. I know you've um, obviously likened it to, as a parent, and I'm sure lots of parents will empathise with what you're saying there. And even if you're not a direct employer, people who manage teams will also have the same feeling as well. So where does this, right? So let's assume, for the sake of argument, that we start to move move forward. Have you got a vision for where Heretic goes in like the next six months, and then say five to six years? What, what's your vision for the future? Oh, see, here's, here's the thing. You know, you're assuming I have a vision. Uh, <laughs> well, my my vision is blurred after the evil free, <laughs> to be honest. That, that, I, that I know what I'm doing. That's, there's where you're going wrong. Damn. Um, so it's interesting. If, if you come and see our brewery, and people, people are impressed. I'm, I'm looking at the flights right now. Yeah, I plan you know. to. It's, it's, it's on my list. <laughs> trust me. I'm, you know, I've got a room for you here. At my house, you can stay. 
Um, it is, uh, you know, you, you know, it, it's a, it, people, people ask, it's like, how did you get this big? How did, you know, how did you do all this? And I, I've said, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, uh, eating an elephant, you know, it's a bite at a time. And pretty soon, you know, you, you've, you're at the tail of the elephant and you're, you're done. I get that, but what's, you must, I know that you have jokingly said, having got a vision, but you must have a, I assume you must have an idea, not necessarily about the COVID, coming out of COVID and pandemic situation. I mean, you've got a tap room now. So your tap room is what, 20 taps plus, you said, and you've got a distillery. Is there any further plans to expand that? The building is, you know, about 25,000 square feet. And we've, uh, early on, I kind of determined how much brewery would fit in that space. Uh, and I've been building towards that since we started. So there's, you know, for example, um, the brew plant there is capable of, of quite a bit of work. You know, it'll produce maybe a hundred thousand barrels. There's fermenter room to do maybe 60,000 barrels. So my vision is while we continue to fill out and we've already built all the infrastructure to support this, the cold box, the, the, the chilling for the fermenters, the, you know, packaging and all that. I've got that in my mind and we're, we're working forward towards that whether we go outside the building um people ask you know and i'm jokingly i'm like well you know syria nevada was looking at a situation like this and they just bought all the industrial buildings and they bought all they bought houses next to them and this whole thing i said we could build another sierra nevada here um i don't think that's really what i want to do what I want to do is, is really located in, in this one building. It's the place that we are. It's our heartbeat. People ask, you know, we're in California, we're able to have six licenses for different locations. And a lot of breweries, they're using all six licenses and they're building tap rooms all over the place. I don't want to be a competitor to the people who support us. So I don't want to build a bunch of tap rooms. I don't really want to be a massive brewery. I just want to, you know, I would like to perfect what we're doing. My vision for Heretic is, uh, well, you know, we'll do more of the, the spirits-based stuff, but I want to just maximize the building we're in, and I want every drop that's coming out of it to be perfect. That's the goal. I mean, it's like that goal that I had brewing all those BJCB styles. It's like, well, I want to do, you know, a great job of every single one great enough to, to get first place in every, you know, in big competitions for every style. That was my goal. It's the same thing on this. I want every drop of beer that goes out to be perfect. And I want, you know, to maximize that building we're in. And I think that that's going to return the best, you know, investment for our employees, for the people, our team, our family that that's making this happen. I think that that is the thing that, you know, we need to, to focus on. That's the thing we need to succeed at. And if we do, it's going to be great jobs. It's going to be, you know, the community that the city we're in, they already really love us. 
because they've never had something like this. And, you know, where people from around the world come and, you know, visit us, including uh, Steve, Martin, you, you guys are going to. Yeah, yeah, we've practically put the flights uh, already. Yeah. So. so, you know, that, that, you know, that focus, that, I don't want to just build something and have something large and, you know, bigger, oh, mine's bigger than yours. I want to have something that I can point to and say, this is great, you know. The, the beer that comes out of here is great. Uh, you know, the people are happy, you know, build something really good. doesn't matter the size of it. You know, you could be, you know, commercial brewing on a one barrel system. And if every drop was perfect and the people were happy and the community appreciated it, I think that's a win. I've enjoyed every sip of every beer that, that I've had with you this evening. And that that's clearly what you set out to achieve with, with, with people. It was you want people to enjoy what you're producing and, and and that's great and it's it's brilliant that we can now get your beers pretty much fresh in the uk mm -hmm. as, as as well thanks to robert the, the malt miller and that that's great and long may that continue as as, as well i've got one final question for, for for you which is um it's it's a bit of a shitty question but if <laughs> if there's one beer that you wish you could have brewed that wasn't one of your own what would it be well a couple of things um <laughs> one is there's avoidance already there what is it's a <laughs> shitty question <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know it's 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 a bit of a shitty question but it's not that bad because you you gave me heads up on it uh, i don't know what to <laughs> reveal your secrets but you did you did give me a heads up on it uh which helped because um uh, and it's different because people ask all sorts of questions. You know, they're just like, if you're on a desert island, what did the one beer? It's like, stop asking that question. So since you mentioned this, I really have been thinking long and hard about this because like I mentioned earlier, if there's a beer I want or a beer I like, I'll just brew it. Right. And then, you know, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll enjoy that beer. And so it's, it's very difficult for me to, uh, you know, point out a, a single beer that I would enjoy. I enjoy a lot, lots of different beers from different breweries. But the one that I find most difficult to produce is would be uh, Harvey's uh, Best Bitter. Again, because there's nine or 11 different organisms in there. It's open square fermentation. I cannot produce that beer. This is a very difficult beer to produce. And there's a number of beers like that in the UK. It is not simple to produce those beers. I'm able to produce beers that I think are on par with many of the beers of the world, but that I cannot replicate. That I cannot do. That's the beer that if I could produce something, I would, I would do. I, we do make bitter and we, and I use the finest ingredients and I use a lot of my expertise in fermentation to make a great bitter. And we have it on cask and we serve it on traditional cask. Everything's prepared. There's no, there's no CO2 pressure on it. It's all breather or not breather, but, uh, 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 you know, it's open through the spile. We, we do it all right, but it's still not co comparable to, you know, those beers that I love in, in, in England. 
it's it's absolutely uh absolutely one of my favorites so if i could produce that beer that would be it well there you have it is that a good answer yeah, that's, that's Did that's, I get a good answer? No. Oh, that's great, a fantastic great, answer. Great answer. It's, 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 yes. it's not a good answer. It's a fantastic answer. answer. Of any beer in the world, that's the one that, if I could produce that, that I think, you know, I, I don't, and I don't think they, they sell that much. I don't think they have that big a range, but I don't care. You know, my other answer would be, well, you know, Bud Light or one of those things, so I could be, you know, rich and, uh, you know, <laughs> all right, give me the money. J- Jamil, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for talking us through three amazing beers. Um, it's been an absolute honor to, to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jamil. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, mate, but that was a real experience sitting down and enjoying those few beers with Jamil. And I could have actually listened to that guy talk all night long. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we were lucky enough to then spend a bit more time with him after after the recording as well, Steve. But um, I thought it was really fascinating, especially his approach. Not It seems like his, his approach to brewing commercially is exactly the same as it was when he was a world-renowned home brewer. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's kind of, it seems as though he puts a lot of time and effort into um, researching new brews, the ingredients, the processes that go into that, and spends an awful lot of time just thinking about it before actually taking it to the brew kit and, and, and doing it. There's, there's a lot of thought process going into that, isn't there? Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean... You know, going back to his home brewing days, it sounds like once he got into it, he went down that home brewing rabbit hole with great abandon. I mean, 80 plus BJCP styles. I mean, that's just nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And, and he, he won a medal for all of them as well. Um, I mean, that that's not just... That, that, that's not just obsession. I mean, because he, he did say in, in, in the chat that he's, he's slightly OCD with these things. But there's, that's also talent, isn't it? You, you've, got to, you've got to have a skill to be able to perfect a base recipe each time before then taking on the particular style, surely? Yeah, I would have thought so. And the fact that, you know, I assume that most of these competitions, if not all, are some form of blind tasting as well. Um, he, you know... If he's won awards, I mean, for me, it doesn't matter whether the award comes from down the road at some sort of Shed Brewers Association or GABF. A group of people have got together to say, yeah, that beer is its best in its class on that particular day. Yeah, um, and we found from those three beers that that, that we drank with him on the show that how good were each of those beers? They were absolutely solid, weren't they? There There was two or three things that I think were across all three beers. There was this incredible cleanness about about the the beer itself. Um, they were the descriptors, the style, all sort of went together. But he had taken up a notch, and even taking aside our absolute love of all things West Coast. I don't think anyone's surprised that we really enjoyed the uh, the triple IPA Evil Free. But I mean the the the, the porter and. 
you know, the, the, the Belgian Golden Ale, which had been aged with Chardonnay barrels, both of them were still immensely drinkable. And so much so, you could easily have had a second one, even though I'm not sure that would necessarily be the intention for us as consumers. But as Jamil said, his aim is always for people to just enjoy drinking the beer. Yeah, 100%. And how great is it that we can now get his beers here in, in the UK, thanks to the Malt Miller, who's bringing them in exclusively to, to, to the UK, pretty much um, cold chained as, as, as well. I think I think at the moment they're, they're flying pallets over, but they are um, bringing in a full cold chain solution in, in the next couple of months. So they are going to be um, shipped a lot quicker to the UK. They're going to be kept cold from beginning to end. And, and then I know the malt miller are going to do all they can to keep them cold at their end before they get shipped out to us as well. And I, I think that's just great that we're getting these tasty beers. And I think both you and I have ad- ad- admitted until maybe a few weeks back, we maybe hadn't heard of Heretic, but I'm, I'm damn glad that we've heard of them now. I'm very glad. I think this is a really exciting diversification from the malt miller as well. That, you know, and they did it with not a massive amount of fanfare, but once it gained traction on social media, there was quite a decent level of excitement. And I think that's when you and I started to find out a little bit more. Once we'd gone past the initial headline, triple IPA, West Coast, buy, must have, then we started to find out a bit more about Heretic, um, Jamil's background pretty much legendary status within the home brewing world. I think that's a word that you're not using lightly there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's been provided by the malt miller. And, you know, if this is something that the malt miller are going to perhaps expand on in the future as well, it's, a, it's another avenue for us as beer lovers and beer consumers to get some of these wonderful beers from the West Coast of America that we don't often get to see in a very fresh and stable state as well. We were really lucky um, to be gifted the beers that we featured on that show by Rob at the Malt Miller. Um, so some massive thanks to, to Rob for that. And what we'll do is put a link in the show notes to where you can get your hands on, on the Heretic beers. And they are coming regularly now as well. And there's a lot of styles coming now. I think they've just added um, recently uh, an, an Imperial Stout from, it was 2017 vintage that they've just added. They've got a Belgian um, Strong Ale on there as well. In addition to all these super fresh IPAs as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some decent selections of mixed cases, single cans. Are the bottles 500, around the 500 milliliter bottles? I think they're the American Bombers. Oh, okay. Um, So there's slightly more. There is a range. It is a decent range. And that's expanded already in in the, what, four or five weeks since, since we saw Heretic first land on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was uh, once again uh, a, a great experience. Now we're, we're we've been really lucky recently with some of the guests that we've we've had on. So massive thanks uh, to Jamil uh, for joining us. We really had a great time, and I don't know about you, mate, but I'm looking forward to drinking some more Heretic beers. Mm-hmm.